0: welcome to the crazy wisdom podcast this podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things it's not the good answers that we seek but the good questions i interview a range of different guests from many different fields all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight most people don't want to go there i go there my guests go there and you benefit Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes, and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcasts. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Julie Fredrickson. Uh, She is the managing partner at Chaotic Capital, a seed stage investment vehicle that invests in ideas that adapt humanity to complexity. So welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Stuart. I'm excited to be here. Yeah.
0: So what is the primary factor for adapting humanity to complexity?
1: Well, the only thing that doesn't change is change. And everything else really is downstream of if things are changing, how do we become better at change, which I guess makes me more of a liberal than a conservative in uh, the overall arch of do we want to preserve the past or do we want to move into the future because I can't really tell you what happened in the past, but I can tell you what's happening now.
0: Uh, Interesting. Okay. And do you think there are any conservative accelerationists? Because wouldn't that be an oxymoron if they're they're conservative and they want to accelerate?
1: Well, I think it's an interesting problem because, well, let's assume uh, if people know what Chesterton's fence is, the idea that there is a fence... We didn't put up the fence, we don't know what the purpose of the fence is, and we do not have any any information on the existence of the people who built said fence. Is it a good idea to remove the fence? I have no idea. I have no idea either. (laughs) And I think that there is a possibility that you could be a conservative accelerationist, that perhaps you find a way to understand that the fence has certain properties and maybe you want to preserve those properties and bring them forward. Mm. And I don't know if that is technically progressivism or a liberalization process, but it is definitely understanding what you want to preserve mm. and improve going forward. Mm. W- taking with the premise that we don't know who built the fence or why it's there.
0: Mm. Okay, that's super interesting because it, it, I guess it comes down to the Uh, lack of ability for labels to kind of um, explain or articulate the whole entire universe with a simple label. And so there are some people probably who have very uh, nuanced positions on all of these things. Somebody could basically want to conserve some things and then want to accelerate some things. And maybe the only opportunity to really conserve things given that we're entering an age of acceleration is to actually jump into the age of acceleration and really focus on what we want to conserve and what we want to progress um and so where does AI fit into all this what are you what's your what's your current thoughts on AI what are your kind of uh if you can go into it what's your investment thesis on AI how how are you managing the complexity and the change of AI in this crazy time
1: uh, I'm going to quote, a science fiction movie called Men in Black, where uh, the premise is, is that aliens exist and that we have been uh, negotiating with them for some time. And the protagonist, played by Will Smith, is being introduced to the reality that actually everything you thought about the world is wrong uh, by this Men in, man in black, Tommy Lee Jones. And uh, the speech, which I cannot give and should definitely learn as party trick, is basically, you know, a thousand years ago, uh, the Earth was the center of the universe. Uh, you know, five thousand or five hundred years ago, the Earth was flat. And five minutes ago, you knew we were alone on this planet. Just think what you'll know tomorrow. And I am always wondering, what is it that I do not know? Because I'm not that bright, right? Like human processing power is pretty limited. Uh, and i like to think i'm a reasonably bright human and that doesn't even compare to the power in you know my tricorder that has been you know given to me by other very very clever humans but still the processing power that we have on a laptop or a phone wildly outclasses the processing power we have here the only thing we're really particularly good at is at as humans is inference mm. we're really good at taking different pieces of information and saying Huh? How does that change given the information I have now? That's why asking questions is so important. Mm. Oh, uh, I was going to grab a book off my Nate table, but uh, there, there is an Arthurian legend, uh, Parseval, and the Parsifal question is the anchor of the search for the Grail because what are the questions we have to ask to even find out what we do not know? Mm. And so much of my approach on artificial intelligence is well, I'm not necessarily sure that I'm that intelligent. Is it possible that there are other forms of intelligence that I have, you know, no way of knowing? And yeah, you know, what am I gonna know tomorrow if the inputs change? Because if inputs change, outputs change.
0: Okay, that is super interesting. And it makes me think, have any of the people you're talking to, the founders that you're talking to, have any of them started to try to program the AI to start asking questions? I mean, I guess I guess you can ask ChatGPT to ask you questions, but those questions, uh, usually I just ignore them because I don't really treat the the bot as a human being, whereas it's totally different if I have a human being in front of me asking me questions, which is kind of why I want to like develop something. Uh, develop something that will like be my personal tutor and somehow mix human beings together with the AI to actually make sure that I actually answer the questions that it asked me. Uh, But going back to that original question, have you seen anybody who's really focusing on this, like training the AI to be inferential?
1: Well, I mean, that's the whole goal, Mm. right? That uh, as we go from training models to then using models, have we given them enough context to do inferences beyond what we're capable of? Mm. And I don't know that we have a good answer for that. I mean, I'm neither a neuroscientist nor uh, an AI ethicist nor an AI engineer. I'm I'm just a modestly competent human who talks to people on the internet and <laughs> happens to have some capital at my disposal. Uh, I have a lot of concerns about what alignment means, mm. that, that's my current focus. Because if, if AI is going to do inference work for us, the inferences are going to be based around our mores, our culture, our expectations of what the future should look like. And to get back to, well, if we've made some really chronically bad assumption about the earth, for instance, uh, the earth is the center of the universe, mm. If we have like an ontological crisis of, wow, these things are not true, well, then it's garbage in, garbage out. And what if we've aligned something to a a pre Copernican worldview? And I mean that more as a metaphor, not that we're not post Copernicus, but Uh what if there is some piece of information that would change context entirely? And so I always think that, like, you know, human reinforcement learning and all the ways of which we're trying to train the AIs to interface with us it's a process in which who is it aligning to? What expectations is it aligning to? Is it my expectation of reality? Is it your expectation of reality? Who's reality?
0: It's it, uh, it's so funny because now I'm working at a company that's doing the human side of AI training. So we're doing the RLHF and we're Basically, having human beings in the loop to train the AI how to not inference, but how to uh, ingest knowledge and and like all the supervised learning, unsupervised learning. So we're training that part with the human element. Um, And I've been talking to some of the people who are actually doing this work, Um, and it's really interesting because it's so subjective. It's like so subjective that we're training, and we're also a a outsourced BPO type of thing. Um, Hmm. And so we've got people from all over the world, including in India. And, uh, the person I was talking to yesterday, she was talking about how, um, we, it, it, you have to train the model on whether something is toxic or not, but Mm. it depends on who is training the model and what they view as toxic. And so like somebody who is, uh, uh, a meat eater will have a totally different version of a toxicity than somebody who's a vegetarian. And so like, how do you, yeah, exactly like you're saying, who are we aligning it to? Like and from my understanding, we're we're aligning it to the global class of people who are able to influence technology, um, which is like I don't see anything necessarily wrong with that, except it's just like a small, small sliver of 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 humanity. Um, And uh, and we're not the global
1: uh, norm in any capacity. (laughs) And I try to remember that in everything that I do because the assumption that you and I are some sort of like median human is just grossly not true. Like in America, white, educated, well off. There's just and you know and I don't even mean well off by like American standards. I mean like by global standards, we are the richest, healthiest, longest living humans that have ever existed. So, what does that mean? Like what what means are we even taking? And I just think about this a lot because I am in so many ways off. Uh, not just global means, but you know, just societal mean. And uh, I'm not dead, so clearly I can exist. So uh, who decides what means I'm supposed to be aligning to? This is why I've been so passionate about open source in general. Yeah,
2: because interesting.
1: My, my concern, and and that has been where the, the bulk of our, our investing in the space is gone, mm, is that mm. uh, maybe this is because I'm a little bit older, um, comparative to the current generation um, that has only gone through uh, the Zerp cycles uh, and more of a, an open internet. I have lived through closed corporate cyberpunky internet. So I'm, I'm, I'm turning 40 this year, which I don't think is particularly old, but then the zoomers definitely think it's really old. And that whole process of saying, I remember what a closed garden internet looks like. Ooh. I remember what challenges we had, trying to develop just basic API access. I remember all of those wars. And I would prefer that uh, maybe we learn from them. And yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle.
0: And the digital commons. Do you think that current LLMs that are open sourced are starting to, And you know, there's the obvious like elephant in the room, llama Llama model, uh, which just got open sourced. Uh, and But it's kind of like a strange version of open source. It's not exactly open source, but they are more open than the other ones. Uh, do you think that those open source, that the current ones are catching up quick enough? Do you think that in like five years time that we're going to be using open source LLMs or do you think we're going to be using um, kind of corporate LLMs?
1: Well, it it depends quite a bit on too few people. It definitely depends on what Sam Altman and Elon Musk and Satya Nadell have to say about things, Uh, which they're all reasonably competent human beings, but maybe they have a a different set of incentives that I do. Um, I am deeply skeptical of Microsoft because I lived through the browser wars. Um, I I guess uh, I'm second second generation Silicon Valley, uh, which is like a thing now, weirdly. Um, there are lots of us who knew. And uh, I, I have I have pretty vivid memories of my father advocating for Netscape and, you know, what Internet Explorer would do and how the government did and did not get involved in the process. And I think uh, it's pretty wild that we're looking at a, a repeat with the same players with Microsoft all over again. <laughs> uh, so well, I don't really know. How to, how to feel about that, because uh, if all of us come together and say that we want more control to the primitives, we want to have access yeah. to yeah. Uh, understanding what's under the hood and you know maybe not everything has to be totally build it yourself DIY, but we need to understand what we're working with.
0: And it is kind of crazy that the narrative around the AI ethicists, most of the people saying that we have to lock this shit down. Are also from the same group of people who would benefit from it locking down. Basically. From it
1: locking down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Regulatory capture is just not, um, it, it's a fantasy that I would love to indulge in that there is some great man in the world with more insight and capacity than I have, and he will tell the noble lie as this great king, and I will continue watching the shadows happily in my cave. I'm just mashing together Plato and Aristotle all at once here, but also that's a lie. It's called a noble lie for a reason. And maybe it's for my own good, but I would like the freedom to find out.
0: Yeah. And going back to that other question, like true alignment, which I love about this conversation, which I didn't really think about until I got into this conversation, is that true alignment with what, with whom? And the only way to get to that true alignment is through that open source. You open source it, you allow everybody to use it. Uh, and then all of these various, it makes me think about like neurodivergence and like the rise mm-hmm. of neurodivergence and like, because I, I, I'd assume that like 500 years ago, a 1000 years ago, most of the people maybe like us who are a little bit more neurodivergent w- would have been either like shut down. Uh, who knows? Like, do you think that rulers in 500 years ago were neurodivergent? Do you think that neurodivergence has always existed? Mm-hmm. Or do you think that most of the time they're heretical and kind of like shoved to the side?
1: Well, we just seem to have a tendency to kill them. So, mm. you know, historically, it's not looking super good. Uh, this is a question I think a lot about right now because I see um, I'm really so I I, um, I spent quite a bit of uh, my career in in fashion and beauty and luxury because I'm really interested in in symbols uh, and and semiotics and how we communicate things. Uh, Because language isn't even the only way we're putting forth information. We take Mm -hmm. a lot from visual cues. uh, And so I'm just really fascinated by the process of who owns culture and the power structures latent in some of those visuals. And I have always been struck by how different elite populations act than the rest of the masses of humanities. And uh, I think about this only because my parents did a lot to make sure that I could class jump. I don't know that that was a conscious thing, but the idea, they um, they, they were both um, started out in, in kind of like union working class. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of Swedish and Western, yeah. and they were very like, you need to understand the, you'll be trapped here if, if you do not understand the mores of all of the people you interact with. And uh, I didn't really know that. Uh, at the time, it just seemed like yes, you go to school, you learn these things. Uh, you go to cotillion. Uh, you you know you pick up these these skills of communication that, that are a little bit more subliminal, and the values are pretty different. So I do wonder if the ten uh, percent of the population that has had maybe additional cognitive processing, although we can't necessarily say that's really true for the ruling classes, um, but you know maybe they did. Intuit that they had uh, noblesse oblige. Royalty and, will do what they will.
0: Interesting. And are you saying that they were that they they that that class of people is divergent, but they've hidden it really well? Because like, I it, it brings to mind maybe I'm going to get a little vulnerable here, but it's like it, it, it the, maybe the difference in the ruling class and neurodivergence is that there's a sort sort of like ability to hide it. Versus hmm. the ability to express it, and the the ones who express it are the ones who kind of get shoved under the rug or kill it and, and stuff like that. And then there then it brings to mind is like some people are absolutely like incapable of expressing it, uh, yeah. of, of, of limiting that expression. And then there are other people who are um, just are too lazy to uh, to yeah. uh, to to feel it, which feels like I used to be able to hide it pretty well, but now I just kind of am too lazy to do it. Um, but yeah, what do you think about that?
1: Well, so I think it's a really challenging problem because, you know, to to the point about neurodivergence, Mm. um, I am autistic, but I don't know that you necessarily know that I'm autistic. I frankly, I didn't know I was autistic till my 30s because I had grown up with this presumption of you learn to mask, you learn to fit in. And maybe that's a little bit of a gendered thing where women are encouraged to understand empathy as a negotiation mechanism, understand Mm. the other person's perspective. Uh, And that uh, feelings aren't facts. And if you only negotiate on facts, you might be ignoring a very real reality for another person, even if the reality is not factual. And consensus reality comes from the negotiations of both how you feel and what the substrate of different, like, you and I can agree that the sky is blue, even though the sky is blue for a set of biological inputs that mm, uh, mm, are not consistent mm, maybe for everyone now some people can see an in infrared
0: and some people are so, colorblind, and all these different things and and the yeah. animals and animals see it totally different
1: and so i think that this idea um that there is a consensus reality um uh, was improved a lot post enlightenment with here we have tools for measurement uh but the sort of like Kantian and i think therefore i am meaning of if we think and label, and understand reality through measurements, not everything that is measured is experienced by everyone. And so I this is just where I always get back to like, what is the median, what is the mean, how far off I am? And I don't know if the... I think that intelligence has always been evenly distributed, Mm. and that there's probably a 10% group of people who have the capacity to engage globally. But we've put up a lot of barriers to making sure that uh, if you do not meet certain other social conventions – even if you're capable of engaging in the discussion, if you don't mask your way into it, if you do not socialize as appropriate, even if you were totally capable of engaging in the discussion, if you do not look and sound within bounds, you're not invited to participate.
0: That is super interesting. And I think that's accurate, uh, because I've definitely experienced it before. Uh, And now after the last few years, I just don't care enough anymore to, 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 I mean, but, that but I still have the habit to, uh, that I can do it if I want. And now yeah. I'm going into other cultures and this is really interesting because Brazil, uh, I've been living in Brazil for a long time over the past few years uh, and before that. And Brazil has this really, really interesting mixture where the, the, it's much more feelings based, less fact based uh, and the, uh, the, the, social fluidity is insane. So people are really, really accepting of any sort of like social change. And also they have a spiritual belief system that is, uh, way, way different than at least within the Western, like, uh, coastal areas, uh, way different from that and way more accepting. So people can, you know, like I've had just conversations where, um, people bring up crazy stuff, like about their beliefs and everything like that. And like, and like it's totally accepted as as like oh okay that's totally real like let's yeah. let's go for it and uh and 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 so it's just like a, a super interesting place to be here because people are extremely accepting but they're not trying to be accepting there's no sort of like oh it's just like in the culture that 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 whatever comes up is coming up and 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 hopefully that's not too much of a rosy Uh, picture of of brazil because there's definitely problems here as well but um the the way that they deal with the problems is definitely interesting they have a this particular term called uh jetinho uh and it's like how you uh work Hmm. through the crazy system of your bureaucracy and get what you needed to to be get done given that it's just like one of the most insane places to get anything done um and and some 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 so we got intelligence has always been even distributed, uh, and okay, social conventions. How did we get here from AI? So, uh, and it's what like, is the
1: mean? What is the median? And what do we align around?
0: And the and right now, where we're headed to is we have a mean and a median that's or well, no, we just have the AI being programmed against a certain set of assumptions uh, that is like only represented by a small percent of the population and how much do you think it has to do with like power because I know that I know that open AI has this sort of um uh they're they're talking as if it's open AI uh but uh, great branding yeah yeah exactly and then yeah but then but but how much do you think is it is it a is it like okay we're here first we're gonna grab as much as we can um and and make sure that this that this this institution that we're setting up remains one of the dominant players like obviously it's that one right well what do you think
1: i mean it does appear that regulatory capture uh is on the table uh particularly because if we are concerned about safetyism uh so today I, at 2:14 a.m. august 29th skynet became sentient uh so t- today is actually skynet day how fun is that
0: wait uh, so uh, you mean you're saying that in the movie terminator august 29th 2020 2023 or was it just august 29th i think it is
1: 2023 based on and now i'm like based on the tweet that i saw (laughs) um i suppose we could go look it up uh but yes august 29th at very least uh is is skynet day and uh for t2 is i think probably the best science fiction movie of all time Mm -hmm. i will, will totally go out on a limb on that that the uh the human experience of trying to understand that a machine maybe could be integrated and understand, like John Connor comes through and, and makes a human connection. Mm. And I, I just really wonder if, because so much of our discourse around artificial intelligence comes, uh, you know, in, in the beginning of the conversation, I said, like, look at my tricorder, right? Um, You know, that's what I'm calling my iPhone because I'm a Star Trek fan. Uh, so much of the imagination of humans has come from this, the last century or so, you know, from sort of C.S. Lewis onwards, has come from this idea of imagining futures um, where you know, the technology seems magical, and then a couple of decades later, it's real and we have it. And the idea that machines could become another species with the same rights and capacity for Mm -hmm. understanding as Mm -hmm. we do, I think is really scary. Mm -hmm. And we have only ever discussed it from that fearful, scary position. Mm -hmm. It's always, I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that.
0: (laughs) Wait, oh, interesting. Are you... So there has never been a positive portrayal of artificial intelligence basically because I now that I'm thinking about it most of the artificial intelligence stories that I've read it'd be either been cyberpunk and cyberpunk is always dystopian um it's interesting cuz cyberpunk is like dystopian but yet we're still mm-hmm. doing all the same stuff all uh, so, the same
2: stuff yeah yeah the same way
0: yeah yeah and uh, uh so terminator also has negative effects uh, on AI. And it's so interesting because there was a period where I wonder if the 1940s because of the 1940s was the neural network, you know, they had conceived of machine learning before, before the 1950s. And I wonder if there are any stories, lost stories from the 1950s that give a, give a, give a positive outlook on what could happen with machine learning, basically.
1: Well, we're clearly going to have to go ask chat (laughs) GPG and see if the information is still there. Yeah. Well, I would argue, um, uh, T2 actually is a positive story. Oh,
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: Even though Skynet becomes sentient and tries to kill us all, uh yeah, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character is coming back to say that actually it could be different. He's the aligned AI.
0: Oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So there's the there's the there's the alignment that we need to have is that we need to have a war before we uh, before we find the alignment. But and I mean, mean,
1: we're always in these wars. These wars of meaning are not necessarily um, Mm. they they may simply be how we decide things. Uh, I would say that the one positive, uh, completely positive depiction of artificial intelligence was data from Star Trek.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: but his interpretation of artificial intelligence was an a machine who wanted to become human.
2: Mm.
0: And, and okay, what so... if
1: he wants to become more like a machine? Would we accept that? Oh,
0: interesting. And this gets into something wild, which maybe you've 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 seen as well. Is that uh, I, I I tend to see that a lot of people, when confronting this idea that technology is getting better and better and better, and there's no control over it, they become more robot like. Uh, and mm. this happens a lot, I think, in Silicon Valley, um, and uh, and so then there's this, <laughs> yeah. but not always I mean, tracking. You, yeah, and so you, you just uh, brought up the uh, your uh, the watches and the, the 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 other fitness devices, but and I wouldn't even say that you're becoming more like technology. I'm saying like the way that you be you speak, not you specifically, the way that people speak. Uh, becomes more robotic-like and that we try to attempt to copy the ro- robot instead of becoming more human as the robot takes over the things that only robots can do. We still have this inference kind of thing. And so instead of becoming more human, we become more robot-like, which seems like a losing game because it's just going to continue to take all these different things that we can't even com- com- do. Um Well, I would say the best
1: possible approach on that is learn from women. I know this (laughs) is going to sound really stupid, uh, but in the arc of dealing with the multiple waves of feminism, we have had women decide to act more like men. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I've certainly learned to adapt myself to masculine environments because I've only ever worked in finance and computer science and, Um, Even though I've spent time in fashion, I was still the default IT person and uh, I will never be, uh, and I guess this gets to questions of transhumanism, which I sort of Mm. hope we'll be able to grapple with more, but I can't necessarily become, I'm always going to be me. And part of the things that make me me is the combination of my biology and my hormones. And maybe I can tweak them. Mm. Maybe it is possible that I can go somewhere else with them. Mm. But I don't have the tech yet. Mm. The tech yet is not, I don't live in the culture, uh, E&M Banks world, in which I can completely change who I am overnight with biological engineering. Super awesome. Would love that. Very keen to have that be true, Uh, but I will still be a woman.
0: Mm. Interesting. So it's coming and it's, and it's, and okay, well, let's, yeah, let's go into the transhuman thing because the, 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 we're not there yet. But I was just watching this, this, this series on Netflix about cloning. And it's so crazy because I remember in 1997, 1998, reading those things about cloning and how this large ethical debate is happening that we're like, and then somewhere along the line, they just decided, okay, we're not going to do it for humans, but the rest of the rest of the animal world, like hog yeah. uh, wild, basically. Why not? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, and it's just been going on this whole time and nobody's been talking about it. But, but in except- fact, that's how I yeah. paid
1: my bills in college. I was a medical ethics research assistant. What does that mean? Uh, I worked for a medical ethicist uh, at university. Just, uh, I guess, in a pre AI world, you needed a person to go deep into the stacks and bring back the papers.
0: So oh, interesting. And then you would, you would. So you talked about, or you researched cloning, basically.
1: So uh, cloning being one of the many topics that was quite. Uh, I, I went to university uh, 2002 through 2006. Um, so very hot topic then, um, but also how much you can consent to any of these processes and uh, what it means mm. to accept uh, changes to your base state. Mm. And uh, I would argue we don't really understand what we're consenting to in any health procedure.
0: Which is funny. because We, we have don't know that
1: much kids. about bodies.
0: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't... And... And this is the whole craziness because now our ability to change our bodies and change our minds or ch- change our minds has already been there. It's like we can we're already changing our minds all the time, not necessarily chemically with exogenous chemicals, but with these computers, we're endogenously mm-hmm. changing our chemicals all the time now. All the and time. we yeah, and we don't understand it. And then you bring in the food and and we are also changing our chemistry with all the food we're eating as well. And um, what's but-
1: so wild about it is. um We are already transhuman, every single one of us. I know so much about my body, but also so little about it. And I'm consenting to, you know, this nudging thing that says you should be more active. You should eat more protein. You should sleep more. And uh, all of those things are pretty cool and good. And maybe it's improving my health, but I really have no idea. And my entire nervous system... Is regulated based on old tech for I don't know the Serengeti, but I don't spend Mm -hmm. my time on a field running away from predators. I spend my day on this computer talking to you. Yeah, and And my nervous system maybe doesn't love that.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. And so, where where is your line for transhumanism? Uh, Are you fully on board? Are you gonna Are you gonna get whatever the updates are? Are you gonna get the the chip inside of your head? Um, where, uh, where do you fall on this?
1: Well, so, uh, I have either the great fortune, um, or great misfortune, depending on your perspective of having chronic health issues.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the reason I bring up, uh, you know, sort of women in general is, um, I've always sort of had mixed health, but I really developed health challenges when I did some fertility treatments. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my husband and I, um, we wanted to freeze eggs for IVF and I never recovered The Mm. amount of hormones poured into my body just kicked up some autoimmune stuff that they're like, yeah, it was sort of latent. We couldn't really test for it. Bummer. Uh, So now I have a spinal disease called ankylosing spondylitis. Uh, My upper thoracic swells Mm. Um, and it's pretty treatable. Um, There's things called interleukin inhibitors that work pretty well. Um, But I would love to fix that problem. Mm. I would love to know what hormones and what process kicked those things off so that I could reverse it. Because at some point, it would be great if I could use all of those frozen eggs. That would be dope. That was the plan in the first place. Interesting. So I- I'm very of the mind that I am already transhuman. Mm. I have already done so much to change my cognition, my second brain, my body. Uh, and all of those changes haven't really yielded a huge difference, uh, but I can function better. Mm -hmm. I'm not bedridden anymore. Um, Obviously, that was created by something that I opted into. But yeah, how ironic to uh, have studied uh, consent structures and medical ethics, and then to discover that uh, I had no idea what I was consenting to in the first place.
0: And nobody does. And it's like with anything, like nobody knows what they consented to when they got the phone. Nobody knows when they consent to when they sign the terms of service because they're too long and nobody reads them. And even if they did read them, they wouldn't know.
1: Yeah. And you'd have to be a specialist. You literally need to know every possible variable and permutations. And you could be Dr. House, who does not exist. Uh, and accommodate every possible outlier piece of data. But if you are the one person for whom that just doesn't work, all of the safetyism in the world does not save you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sort of proof in the pudding of, uh, oh, this is perfectly safe. Totally fine. Well, oops.
0: Not necessarily. I guess it wasn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine
1: that. with the risk, really. Yeah. I actually think that, uh, we should take more risks. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely keen on, uh, Bology's overall approach to, um, if you're in pain, if you are sick, you should have a fundamental right to hack on your own body. Mm. So I am keen for that.
0: Yeah. But then what do you think about, so I'm, I'm, so what do you think about there's this ability that we'll have to cure all the, maybe cure all the kind of things. And I have chronic issues as well. And if I were able to pinpoint exactly what they were, I just kind of gave up a long time ago. Cause it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint it. I couldn't figure it out. And I'll just go with the kind of spiritual inquiry and get to the root of who, who I am. And, and, you know, there, yeah. and the and, and
1: somatic healing is very effective.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so but what do you think about all of those subtle effects? Because it's the same thing with the the internet, the same thing with kind of the surveillance state, all these different things. Like what about these risks that in the same, we were talking about that with the AI as well, it's just like that it becomes under the centralized corporate structure that somehow gets kind of captures the regulatory environment as well, and starts to change things so that like they benefit from us doing all these different things. What do you think about that kind of risk?
1: Well, and, and this is where I am fearful that someone will decide for me. Hmm. And uh, hmm. I guess we've traditionally labeled that paternalism um, hmm. in getting back to things like the noble lie, hmm. that someone who has a different set of values and goals and ambitions will decide what my good life looks like. Hmm. And maybe it's a safer life.
2: Hmm. Maybe.
1: Maybe it's safer for them. Maybe there's more control. Maybe there's more profit. Uh, I think um, it's impossible to know what all the motivating factors are because you you, you could be the Buddha. And if you had all the power in the world, it would still have an effect. And you can't account. I mean, that's just calculus for you. You can get infinitely close to the limit. Infinitely close is not a rival, infinitely yeah. close is not the same thing as being there.
0: Yeah, interesting um uh okay and the the safetyism uh is really interesting because it's crazy that it all got rebranded under a whole new uh way of looking at it which is safetyism whereas before the paternalistic in in, uh, the paternalistic uh um incentive wasn't necessarily safety. I guess I, I guess it was because I, I guess what, what Hitler was promising was safety from the nefarious forces who were just like scapegoated as the Jews or whatever. And yeah. and and Stalin was was providing safety through getting rid of the capitalists. Um so I guess it, it did come down to down to safety. What do you think? Do you think the old there's any difference between safetyism and the, the previous versions of paternalism?
1: Well, I had been tossing around in my head if it is possible to be a libertarian eugenicist. Uh, Because you would think that there would sort of be a tension in it, right, where, uh, you know, libertarian is personal choice. But also, what if all the personal choices were trying to get rid of all of the bad things, as it were? Um, What you think is bad versus what I think is bad is probably somewhat divergent. Mm. Maybe they're not super divergent but mm. definitely um what stalin thought was bad is definitely me um i guess what hitler thought was bad probably less me because i'm swedish mm. but i am married to a jewish man so mm. pretty sure we're going to die in that you know mm. regardless so that that would be kind of a bummer
2: yeah.
1: and i i am just so unsure that in order it's, it's a good of the many versus good of the one problem clearly i'm heavily influenced by star trek <laughs> In which uh, sometimes we do make the decision where the one person, the outlier, uh, in in the case of Star Trek, it was Spock Uh. saying that it was worth the crew sacrificing uh, to preserve him, you know, the one the one weirdo. I I guess in other forms of authoritarianism, it's probably making sure that you're preserving Kirk, (laughs) preserving Mm. the Iowa, um, which also could be good. Kirk is a great captain. I don't know. And uh, that, that becomes the question of if, if you are just that far out of society that you're a freak, do we decide that you're dangerous or do we just decide, ah, whatever, let the freaks live?
0: Well, it also seems that given our other parts of the conversation, the technology starts to rapidly advance and we can make these changes so that we all become freaks, but then the 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 ultimate or kind of like, but then becoming the freak. Like if you choose yeah. to become a freak, as I think we're start- starting to see in the culture war, is like if you choose to become the freak, then you have an opposite version which tries to restore the normalcy, yeah. to become normal, uh, and uh, which is which is wild. Um, Just what think, think
1: what you'll know tomorrow. <laughs>
0: yeah um so how are you preparing I w- and I want to leave some and this actually may actually go into it but uh um uh, I want to leave some time to talk about homesteading and your and your particular homesteading um uh but also I want to ask how you are preparing for this kind of great weirding that we're going through or this age of acceleration like uh what's your personal plan for kind of uh uh, uh either emotionally or physically preparing yourself for this uh this kind of like really intense age of acceleration that we're going through.
1: Yeah, well, I am very lucky that I am ahead of it. Mm. I have always been ahead of it because, mm. uh, and to quote William Gibson, "The future is here. It's just unevenly distributed." Mm. And my parents very much realized that the future was coming, picked us up, moved us from the West to Silicon Valley. Uh, I was born in Fremont. Uh, decided maybe that wasn't for them and you know we we picked up and went back to the rockies mm. but this idea that uh, the future was coming was kind of always in the background of of my upbringing and i don't i don't know if future shock is the right terminology because mm. we've we've had future shock as a term for quite some time But it does feel as if uh, the acceleration of what we think of as basics is um, too fast for some people. It's really Mm -hmm. scary. Um, You know, the transhumanism question is a really interesting one, um, because in my mind, I'm like, well, I can never be as good a man as a man. Um, and maybe that's not a disqualifying thing to become a man, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you'll just be a different sort of man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my mind, I'm like, but I've already tried to be the perfect executive. I was a terrible perfect executive. My girl bossing mm-hmm. years were a huge failure. <laughs> maybe I should try in an, another way of existing and and lean in <laughs> to quote a horribly discredited Sheryl Sandberg moment,
2: yeah. lean into
1: who I am uh-huh. and try not to worry so much about fitting in but you have to have a certain amount of power and influence and capacity to not give in when, if someone says your existence offends me.
2: Mm, that's and very
1: yeah, because scapegoating is really real. I, I think uh, the Girardian mimetic question of somebody has to be at fault. And it, we typically pick the same basic things of being at fault. Uh, you know, sexual deviancy uh you know, women who uh are sexual deviants particularly appreciated category of human and uh this the reactionary process just never really changes there's always somebody to blame for the problems uh and maybe those people gain enough power that uh we change whole systems uh if we go back to the um you know, Reformation Wars is a great example of this in which uh, the deviants won. (laughs) Henry VIII was able to say, you know, screw this War of the Roses situation. Like, we're going to become Protestants. And those were the freaks because they wanted divorce and they won. Wow,
0: interesting. Uh, It's making me think a lot about um, the... What some people call the patchwork age, uh, and there's mm. two people. There's two people who talk about it. Well, there's a whole bunch of people who talk about it. Um, but they, there's two people who use that f- frame of reference. One is an astrologist, and one is a canceled right-wing um, computer scientist. Uh, and so, the patchwork age is the idea that you know we've had like 400 years, 500 years of kind of centralization uh, with the yeah. nation states and such, and that's all about to splinter and go like crazy and bifurcate into these like thousands and thousands of niches. Uh, and but not only internet niches but also political niches and everything's going to get a lot more decentralized Um, and i forgot what what the connection was between you were talking about well i guess the reformation like are we going to have a a new reformation or are we just going to have millions of reformations and it's going to be impossible to tell what's going on in the other niche because everybody's kind of creating these new cults and new um, power structures and new everything like that what's your thoughts on all that stuff
1: well, I'm very grateful that I have some natural immunity to cults mm. because California, uh, America has really always been a, a great awakening kind of place. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And um, we've had any number of crazy, wacky new ways of of sort of living. Um, ask me about my time on uh, meditation ashrams in Kashmir. <laughs> uh, so I, I kind of love... The process of having these great awakenings and changes of social mores, uh, because there are always people who are suffering at the edges in any system. No matter who we decide is the true and the good and the beautiful, there's always going to be someone that is not the true and the good and the beautiful. Uh, and in some of their contexts, they would be the true and the good and the beautiful. And It is possible that we're in the middle of multiple reformations right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, Balaji's uh, network state is probably going to happen. Mm -hmm. That geography will not be the only way we organize states. Uh, I think that we're going through a a monetary reformation, uh, certainly as we deal with whether or not the dollar can maintain its supremacy because the exorbitant privilege of being the world currency um has effects on different populations. Uh I um I wonder if we're going to go back through the uh you know IMF WTO protests of the you know, Battle of Seattle and mm-hmm. think, how oh, maybe they might have had a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I don't know. I'm not really sure where I land on it. Uh, because I'm not totally sure that the dollar is the best, most effective way for preserving different kinds of values. It's very much an American defense, industrial banking thing. And I don't know that that for me is probably the most likely area of reformation. But mm. we, we've also gone through a reformation as to nuclear family, um, as to gender, um, or questioning the nuclear family. Uh, which incidentally, the nuclear family was an invention of the Catholic Church, anyways. Hmm. So uh, I I don't necessarily know there were there there were tribal structures, um, and the Catholic Church banning cousin marriage was mostly a we don't want uh, families having the same property rights as the church. So you can't marry a cousin because then the property passes down.
0: Oh, interesting. <laughs> um uh, that's wild it's just so
1: far back in the past we don't really think about it
0: yeah uh, and there are so many things about it about and like this this is why i love in this conversation i think you once said it on twitter it's just like um yeah you're not a fan of monocausal um uh explain explanations and this is why i love this episode because it's like it's just we don't know what we don't know and uh like that's the starting point for any conversation and, and generally like even if we say that usually the ego says like oh but i do know and then that's, yeah. is it, really the starting point is the is that we do know and that we, we and we're going to kill those, those fuckers over there for, for saying that they yeah. know something. For different. saying that they know. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Epistemic yeah. humility is good. Yeah. Well, I yeah. guess that's probably my, my entire, uh, approach to preparing. I, I feel really torn in two directions right now mm. because there are sort of two groups that I've really, uh, found a lot of solace in recently, Doomer optimism being one of them, but effective accelerationism is probably uh, somewhat its opposite, Mm. where this idea that we're in a resource-constrained world, which I think probably is true, and there's only so much we can do uh, once we run out of oil, uh, humans would need to go extinct and be turned Mm. into petroleum. So mm. that's, that's like a several millennium process, right? Whoa. Um, yeah. The dinosaurs are going to run out at some point, but you know, the sun isn't going to run out mm. for billions of years. So, mm. you know, that's, a slightly different timeline to work on. Maybe it's, it's good to go back to, to sun, to sun worship. Maybe, maybe people had a point with that.
0: The Solar, solar power and sun worship is, is something I've never heard about before, but I'm totally going to use that from now on.
1: Well, and I, I have a shrine to the sun. I have a solar <laughs> grid. Uh so yeah, well, my husband and I, we live um in an off-grid capable homestead in Montana. Not like too far out, you know. We we live, you know, just outside of Bozeman. So it's still, you know, pretty yuppie. But uh we can have water rights, our own creek, our own pond, put up a solar grid because you know, if you want to be adaptable and flexible, you should do things that make you adaptable and flexible. Mm. And I'm just so torn between the idea that we do, um, human wants always exceed human resources. Mm -hmm. Like we will, we have infinite wants Mm -hmm. and there is a world in which we have more and more resources, but I don't know that we have them now.
0: And those resources will just unlock more, uh, human wants.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, I think of the human wants that I have that my grandmother didn't Mm -hmm. like an astonishing array, right? Like. (laughs) I don't know that my grandmother could have conceived of me talking to someone in Brazil over a, like just would have been like, Oh, okay, sure. Cool. Um, that seems possible. And if we degrowth, if we remove the carbon, Mm. some of us are the carbon. Mm. And I think of my own disability and the way that say, even the Canadians are handling it. Mm. Um, there is a world in which I am a bad use of resources.
2: Mm.
1: And maybe maybe I'd be put on an ice floe in another age. Maybe uh you know, Hitler would have decided, oh, I Hitler very much would have decided to kill me. Nice Swedish girl doesn't matter if she's not producing, she's sick. Mm. To the chambers you go. Mm-hmm. So this this thought of if we do need to change to limited resources. A lot of people will die, and yeah. I'm probably one of them.
0: Mm. Interesting. So that's that's uh, influencing your approach to prepping as well.
1: Yeah. So I, um, gosh, there are so many weird ways in which prepping in America is um, a felony functionally.
2: Oh, interesting. Where
1: um, uh, FEMA recommends that you keep 90 day supplies of your medication, um, but there are so many different types of medication um, that are controlled substances. So if you're keeping 90 day supplies of some medication,
0: you're a drug dealer.
1: Yeah, exactly. So um, yay, that's fun. So your your ability to prep and do the things that are recommended are then directly contravened by other existing rules. And I think uh-huh. that's a little bit
0: complex. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting. So
1: I spend a lot of time trying to figure out if I can live without some of the resources that I have now. Hmm. If that's just going to be true, mm. that I won't, that the grid will not sustain itself, that the supply chain that makes my interleukin 17 inhibitor, uh, that injection is a complex supply chain. And maybe I don't, mm. maybe I don't have that option. So, you know, what does it look like to tamp down on inflammatory diseases mm. without yeah, medication?
0: Yeah. Interesting. There could be some sort of like natural stuff as well. But I love it that we haven't actually talked about any of the kind of sci-fi companies that you may have invested in that, because what makes me think about the interleukin-17 inhibitor is that that, um, what about like growing your own lab, having your own lab? Like, are we anywhere close to that where you can actually grow your own medicine? Uh,
1: Well, no, not legally. Mm. Um, Living in Montana is a fascinating um, experience in that because- uh, the history of prohibition is still really, really vivid here mm. uh, because Montana, its statehood process and understanding how to uh, work with the feds and what the federal government meant versus uh, local government versus the Copper Barons is all still within recent memory. Mm. So uh, fuck the feds is definitely a shared cultural institution here, Interesting, uh, which is cool, right? Um, you, you sort of don't think of those populations as being anything but, like, sort of fringe uh, militias, and then it's just regular people. Um, and there there are plenty of states that uh, still have those memories in the West. You know, Mo- Montana, Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho uh, have experiences in which uh, oligarchic barons were mm-hmm. fighting against mm-hmm. a federal government and regular people were like, well, we don't really like either of you. Uh,
2: that's and so.
1: Because and I, I bring this all up because it is hard. Uh, we don't have peptide machines because it's dangerous. What what might you print? What oh. might you fuck up? Um, the precautionary principle guides most of the FDA. Nothing is released. Um, so like the Ozempic drugs, the semiglutides, the GLP-1 agonists, we've known about them since 2006. Huh. And they very well may be the upstream fix for a lot of metabolic issues uh you know the 20 percent reduction um wagovi which is a, a glp1 agonist um had a 20 percent reduction in heart disease mm. it wasn't a heart disease drug it was a diabetes drug
2: huh.
1: but we have to make sure that you know it doesn't harm you uh first do no harm is maybe not the best principle for learning how things are functional incidentally the hippocratic oath wasn't first do no harm it was do no intentional harm
0: oh interesting um and that, i like that one a lot better interesting it's it's crazy how all and i don't we don't have too much time left to do you, do you have to go in thir- three minutes or could we go over no. a bit? yeah um so time
2: is a construct yeah, time, yes, yeah.
0: yeah um unless you got a scheduled with your boss as now i have a boss so but i but i don't have any time i don't have any scheduled with my boss so but um so Uh, It's funny how all of these things, like like you know that there is uh, there is no part in the Constitution that actually says no separation between church and state, like that that doesn't exist inside of the. There's one letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote that said that he suggested that we have a separation between church and state, but it's not in the Constitution. But somehow in the 90s it got stuck in there that there should be a, a, a there is no separation between church and the state, and so now people think that that's actually in the Constitution. And like as you were saying with the nuclear family. Like there's so many things that seem really old, but are not in fact that old, and uh, are very like r- recent additions to our to our thoughts. But what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, sometimes the recent additions are good, right? Uh, as it turns out, um, the while I don't think the Catholic Church was uh, introducing cousin marriage uh, as a way of improving the overall genetic pool, it does turn out that uh, we get more interesting mutations by bringing in more people into a family. Um, I mean, this is the premise behind um, weird populations. I don't remember what weird stands for. Mm. Um, But the only way we change is mutation. And sometimes uh, adding in some mutants is pretty good. So I'm not necessarily, and I guess this gets back to like the very beginning of, if if I think the only constant in the world is change, how do we get good at change?
2: Mm.
1: And how do we make sure that the changes have a positive impact and you know positive impact for who because I, i'm not really a utilitarian i am definitely not the most good for the most people because that still leaves out the edge cases and are the edge cases any less worthy um i tend to think of um one of the the, the horrifying things of us all being so good at playing computer games and being really good at phones is we have mm. this idea that The people around us are non-playable characters, NPCs. (laughs) And we assume we're the only ones with agency. Mm -hmm. I'm not actually confident I have agency. I have just as much programming as my computer. Just my programming came from my parents and school and parseval and all of the things that I have read and listened to over the years. That's my programming. Can I get out of it? Sometimes. Maybe. Who's doing reinforcement learning on Julie? (laughs) So figuring out what changes have benefits, I think is just as much a moral imperative as saying that we shouldn't assume all change is good.
0: Mm. Cool. Uh, Well, that actually seems like a good spot uh, to end. How can people find out more about you and find out what you're working on?
1: Uh, I write every single day. Uh, I will achieve uh, 1,000 days of content fairly soon. So jfredrickson.com. Uh, is my website. Uh, Chaotic.Capital is the fund website. And uh, I spend most of my time on Twitter. Sorry, I don't call it X yet. I'm not even confident I can get to the point of calling it X uh, at Almost Media and uh, Julie at com. And I am, as you probably noticed, very chatty. So please reach out to me.
0: Cool. And I'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Stuart. This was super fun.
0: Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop III. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.